0: Hey, folks, no better way to start your day than with Boyer's Coffee. Love my Boyer's Coffee in the morning, two cups, and then usually have one at night. They have all sorts of great flavors. And the best thing about Boyer's Coffee, in addition to the wonderful and consistent taste, is their Colorado company, Born Bread, started in 1965. You can find them in your local grocer, and you can also find them online at boyerscoffee.com. They have wonderful flavors. They have all sorts of sales going all year round. Give them uh, an opportunity to earn your business, whether you go to your grocery store or do it easily online at BoyersCoffee.com. You'll be thrilled you did steel power tools they work year round if you want battery operated if you want electric or if you want gasoline powered they have everything you need to take care of big jobs small jobs and those in between told you many times i have a garage full of steel products it's s-t-i-h-l s-t-i-h-l and they are just marvelous you will find them at over 9,000 dealers around the country. Ask about them. They have the highest ratings going, and they will make the job easy for you, whether you're cleaning up the backyard, whether you're clearing out brush, whether you're moving snow around, or if you're just trimming up the bushes in the front yard. Steel Products will get them done. Go to steeldealers.com S-T-I-H-L. This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast. Major League Baseball offseason moves and analysis. Drew previews the NFL Conference Championship games and part two of Drew's interview with Peter McNabb, Talking Avalanche, Bobby Orr, and Peter's time with the man who broke the color barrier in the NHL, Willie O'Ree. You know,
1: they would have to sneak him in the back door of hotels. And if they ever found out that Willie was there, they kicked the whole team out. Uh, believe it or not, Willie would have to sit in the back of the plane. I, I mean, just things that you just go, no, come on, that's no. This is what he endured. He is always the best person in the room. Every time you walk in the room with Willie O'Reilly, he's the best person.
0: Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast at iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And leave a comment. It helps other people find the show. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. Hey everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Drew Goodman Podcast. Glad you join us each and every week. Spread the uh, good word to your friends and have them subscribe as well. What's hot? Brought to you by Boyers. We'll begin our show today. You know who's hot? DJ LeMayhew. He's been hot the last couple of years. He was hot for a number of years with the Rockies, and congrats to DJ. Signed a six year, $90 million deal with the Yankees. And you know what? They got a bargain. They really did. That, uh, averages, I'll do the math for you, 15 million a year because a couple of days later, George Springer signed with Toronto six years and 150 million. And I think that that is about right for George Springer. And yet, if you look at the numbers between D.J. and George Springer, they're fairly similar if you look at war. Last five years, I think D.J.'s war is a little over 20, and Springer's is slightly over 21, using baseball reference. They're a year apart in age. D.J.'s a year older, so there's not a huge difference uh, in that regard. And most teams will look at one game of war as six million dollars. So in other words, if you're a two war player consistently, teams will say we have no problem paying that person 12 million dollars a year. That's what it equates to. I know that's a probably an oversimplification, but using that math and looking at what DJ got looking at what Springer got, Springer to me wasn't overpaid. DJ, And the Yankees, that's a bargain. And I I know DJ very badly wanted to go back to the Yankees. That doesn't mean he wouldn't listen to other teams. The Mets supposedly were kicking the tires. Toronto, the Dodgers, naturally. But he ends up back in the Bronx where uh, he has enjoyed two great years. I mean, final uh, top four in the MVP voting in each of the last two years for DJ. But the Yankees got a bargain, but good for DJ. 90 million bucks, listen, we will all trade places with with DJ. Um, Good for him. Uh, And and you know the money's not going to change him. He's the the same exact guy. Uh, I'm thrilled for him. I love DJ LeMahieu. I love the toughness uh, that he brings. I love the talent level. And uh, what he's done helps current Rockies. I've said that before because it reduces the frequent narrative about, oh, well, he did it because he played at Coors Field. We're all tired of that. We're all tired of talking about it, quite frankly. But his success in New York has... I think uh, aided some of the the players that have played in Colorado and produced really good numbers and people can be uh, are less likely at a national level to be dismissive of those numbers. I certainly wish that uh, DJ somehow had remained a Rocky. That didn't happen, but um, I will always admire him. I'll always root for him. I shot him a text the other day and, and congratulated him as well. So good for him. Uh, good for the Toronto Blue Jays. They're, they're a team that looks like they're going for it. As we taped this on a Wednesday, there was uh, some tweets that came out earlier from respected uh, baseball people that said that the Blue Jays had signed Michael Brantley, who uh, you heard me talk about earlier in the fall, uh, how much I admire him. It's a high on base percentage guy, one of the toughest uh, outs in baseball, doesn't strike out much. Um, And I I was hoping that the Rockies maybe would get involved. I mean, this year is completely different this offseason because of the obvious. Uh, But uh, evidently, at least as we tape this, those. Reports that he had signed already with Toronto, a three year deal, were premature. Um, I, I'm, he's going to sign somewhere. It ultimately may be uh, Toronto. If it is Toronto, they're clearly going for it. By the way, you know, the Springer deal, this surprised me a little bit. It's only the second time that they've ever given a hundred plus million dollar contract to a player. And it's the first time it wasn't one of their own players. I think they had extended Vernon Wells years ago for over a 100 million but he was already in their fold and it also may surprise some people that the rockies have done this a number of times and here's toronto a big market club that is doing it with a free agent for the first time a free agent that wasn't their own it's just the second time uh, overall but toronto seems to be one of those few teams in this uh COVID affected major league baseball offseason that is going for it. You know they have an abundance of young talent with the, the former big leaguers in Biggio and Bichette and Guerrero and they have a nice pitching staff. Well they they apparently are are kind of pushing their chips to the middle as clearly San Diego has. San Diego so far has won the the offseason. There aren't many other teams that have been super active. In fact, of the 60 top free agents, do you know that only 16 have signed and we're the third week of January? Pretty remarkable. So I I think there's going to be some bargains out there for teams. I still do not expect the Rockies to be Super active. I don't expect most teams to be super active. The Rockies were linked reportedly to Mitch Moreland along with some other teams. I think the Rockies certainly have a, a need for you know another productive bat that uh, can play first base and perhaps DH if the DH comes to the National League. That still hasn't been settled, which is pretty amazing considering. Again, as we tape today. Uh, on Inauguration Day, it's January 20th, and pitchers and catchers are going to re- report in about a month or less. So that is, uh, that is surprising that that has not been uh, ironed out as of yet. But once again, there are going to be some teams that are going to get some bargains with, uh, with players that thought they were going to get more money. would n- Ordinarily, if we weren't affected by the pandemic, would get more money. Um, If if owners didn't lose as much money as uh, they lost a year ago, would clearly get more money. The other team that seems to be going for it and has a great young nucleus is the White Sox. And I think the, the common denominator with those three teams is that they all have really great young talent that has already emerged. For San Diego, we know it begins with Tatis, And they have a very deep farm system and made a lot of these moves without giving up their top prospects. The same thing goes for Toronto. They've had some great young players graduate and now have big league experience and have been impactful at the big league level. Uh, And uh, they're led by the aforementioned Biggio and Bichette and Guerrero. So that's probably not a surprise. They're going forward. White Sox in the same boat. Really good young nucleus Um, led maybe by Robert uh, for them in the outfield, and so they apparently are going for it. So stay tuned with uh, happenings around baseball. We'll keep you abreast of them uh, on this podcast and uh, and certainly discuss them as well. In a little bit, we'll have part two of our conversation with Peter McNabb as the avalanche are underway and off to a, a solid start. Want to talk briefly about football before we get to hockey. Uh, good games last weekend, and now we have the final four, the AFC and NFC championship games. It's always about quarterbacks, isn't it? And it's going to be a great matchup. Uh, Tampa goes to uh, Green Bay. It's Tom Brady, well into his 40s, who had an extraordinary year. Aaron Rodgers is going to capture another MVP. He has, I think, 50 touchdowns against five interceptions. That's going to be a great matchup, great storylines there. I am going to stick with my original prediction that it was going to be Green Bay coming out of the NFC. And uh, I I hope for a really entertaining game. I hope both quarterbacks are on. But I'll stick with uh, Aaron Rodgers, who's had uh, a marvelous year. Here's a footnote about Aaron Rodgers that you, you may not be aware of. He's going to go down as one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Do you know that he has never had a number one pick as a receiver? I mean, Devontae Adams is as good as it gets, but he wasn't a number one. And I think that's fascinating because usually when you have a quarterback you are building around, you want to give them weapons. And so after you have your quarterback in ensuing drafts, you look to help that quarterback out look what the broncos done even though they they're not sure yet about drew lock john elway went out last year and got jerry judy he got hamler he said i'm going to put good pieces around my quarterback hopefully of the future well what did green bay do last year famously they drafted another quarterback <laughs> talk about lighting uh not, not that aaron Rodgers needs uh, any fuel but he certainly got some uh, there, and so they drafted a quarterback and not somebody else that would help out uh, Aaron Rodgers. In the AFC, good quarterback matchup uh, there as well. Keeping your fingers crossed that Patrick Mahomes will play, I believe he will. He, uh, on on this Wednesday, um, was a partial participant in practice for kansas city it'll be kansas city against josh allen and buffalo and i'm sticking to my guns there too i think it's going to be a great matchup um i'm going to stick with buffalo though with mahomes healthy and before he left that game and tip of the cap to chad henny for uh, coming on and, and you know keeping kansas city afloat I was like, man, Kansas City, they look like that Super Bowl team of a year ago. But I'm going to stick with Buffalo, man. I'm going to stick with uh, with what we've seen from Josh Allen, who has emerged as a, as a superstar. Uh, it's a great story in uh, western New York. So I'm going to go with Buffalo and Green Bay, and we'll see how that plays out. But uh, it'll be fun to watch. All right, on to hockey. I've watched uh, every minute of the first three games for the Avalanche. For whatever reason, they weren't ready to go in, in game one against St. Louis. And we know St. Louis is going to be one of the best teams in the NHL again this year. Avalanche lose their opener 4-1. to one. They come back the next night. And after a good first period, but it was scoreless, they poured it on in the second and third. Four goals in the second, four in the third. And then uh, a couple of nights later, when they uh, go on their first road trip, they go to Los Angeles, played a good, solid first period, led one nothing. then a couple of goals in the second. They were up 3 to nothing. so it was 11 unanswered goals before uh, the Kings were able to score and make it interesting a little bit in the third period. We haven't talked a lot about, uh, or it's early in the season, obviously, but we haven't talked a lot about Philip Grubauer. Philip Grubauer's looked really good in net so far, and that's going to be a huge key because we know a team, no matter how talented they are uh, on their with their forwards and on the blue line, and we know this Avalanche team is absurdly gifted, but it comes down to how you play in the Nets in the postseason. We're far away from that, but I like what we've seen so far at a Grubauer. The two new newest Avs have also contributed uh, right out of the gates. Duvont has been great. He scored a couple of times. He's uh, part of uh, the quarterbacking of the second power play unit. And in that uh, first game against the Kings... Uh, Brandon Saad, had, you know, a kind of goal that he gets. He's a twenty-plus uh, goal scorer, and it's not always going to be pretty. But he's going to stand and take some abuse in front of the net, and he's going to give some abuse. And he got a dirty goal in that game against the Kings to get the uh, Avalanche going. So so far, uh, two really good acquisitions by Joe Sakic. So, the Avs are in a good place, and we're going to continue our conversation right now with our Ideal Home Loans interview of the week with Peter McNabb. Uh, Peter is just a joy to visit with. I always say this. He's a walking encyclopedia, not only on the avalanche, having called every game since they arrived from Quebec, but he's a, a walking encyclopedia and wonderful storyteller about all things hockey. And he comes from one of the the great hockey families over the last 50 years. So we're going to visit with Peter about Willie O'Ree. We're going to visit about Gabe Landeskog. We're going to visit about Bobby Orr. And believe it or not, we're going to visit about sandy koufax it's part two of our ideal home loans interview with peter McNabb. you were talking about guys you have to have to win a cup the avalanche have to have gabriel Landeskog. he he's he is a very unique leader is he not oh you know it's it's it is one of the most unique
1: things in sports you know, I, I played on a, a really, really good team in Boston, a really good team that had character, I mean, and characters. I've always maintained you don't win a Stanley Cup without characters, never mind character. you got to have some guys that, you know, aren't playing with all the cards. You know, there's got to be some unique stuff. <laughs> and, and But the one thing that, you know, and my buddy said, oh, it must be great to be that team. Having these two guys as your leaders, and I kind of looked at him, and he right? and I go, really? You think that's who the leaders are? And I he said, yeah, they're the best players. I said, no, no, no. Leadership is not the best players. Leadership is a unique quality. It's something that the minute you've got, I mean, you 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 do not become. You can become a better leader, but true leaders are there. I mean, and that's what Gabe was. Gabe. Gabe was and is a leader, and I've been around a couple that were just when they spoke, that was it. That, you know, it, it, you you could be arguing, you could be going back and forth in the locker room, you know, bitching and moaning, and then boom. And, oh, okay, I guess that's right. <laughs> and, yeah. and you and again, you know, it's Sakik was a, a quiet leader. There's, a, you know, and but I think for for Gabe. You know, just the the, the slings and arrows uh, that he took to get his club to this point. You know, it, it, every night dealing with the, that was 48 game season, 48 point season. Pardon me. Being that guy that I mean, he must have hated that, just hated it. And, and now you see what he does. You know, after a good night, boom, he's out of there. That's the players that had the big night talk to the media and things like that. And and again, there's not a man in that locker room that doesn't know. Who, who, who wears the C? You don't have to. If, if you didn't put the C on and you just skated onto the ice and you did, every single player in that locker room would know who their captain is. It, it's down there, 92. It's, he's over there. That's our leader. And, you know, it's, it's, it's always been fascinating because I, I remember I played with a gentleman, Jim Chantel. He had a, a true leadership ability. And Shoney and I were buddies, right? And, you know, it was it was so funny because, you know, I was uh, the idiot. You know, I would say stuff, and guys would be, you know, be throwing stuff at me, and and Shoney, Shoney one time says something to a player that that I had just kind of said, and the guy got all upset, and Shoney goes, Hey Maxie, I, I was just kidding. I said well, Shoney, You can't say that. You can't because they people listen to you. They don't they don't care less what I say. They're, they just laugh at what I say. They'll throw a tape at me, but you say it, they take it to heart. So, you know, you got to watch yourself. You know, right. and, and so, you know, and that's the way it is. I mean, the leaders, when they speak, it's done, it's over, and that's, that's how the situation is going to be handled. And they know the temperature of the room. They know, okay, nope, nothing's needed tonight. Oh, we need something tonight. Oh. oh. I always go back to game 82 against St. Louis. Um, the Avalanche had to win. Hit five and seven. Five shots, seven hits in the first period. They were going to win that game. He was going to lead them to victory in that game. And I thought, this kid is, you know, he's at that time. He was, you know, moving into what's going to be a really good team. But this that was his first big, big, big moment as far as being that leader. And, and he... He was
0: everything you're supposed to be. He's special. He really is special. Well, just a, a quick assessment, because we we know we can talk, you know, all night long about the Landis gods and certainly the McKinnons and the McCars and, you know, now Tay's on board and um, – in cadre, it's it's such a deep roster. But to win a cup, we all know this. It comes down to one thing. It comes down to goaltending. Unfortunately, uh, the Avalanche got hurt at the wrong time. Are the Avalanche deep enough, led by Grubauer, to win a cup in your mind? Well, you know, one of the things
1: you have to do when you when you say uh, win a cup, it, winning a cup has nothing to do necessarily with how you play during the regular season. It does, because you have to be good enough to get your club to a certain point. Uh, you want uh, you want to win the division, so you get home ice, things like that. But inside of the playoffs, you have to be four series good to be able to win four playoff series. People say, oh, he's got to be good in the playoffs. Well, what does that mean? You've got to be – because every single playoff series is going to represent a different kind of obstacles for a goaltender. Some teams are big, a lot of people in front, other teams move the puck. You've got to be quick side to side. A lot of pucks, you know, teams, you know, come down one side, they come down the other. There's, you have to be able to adjust to so many different things inside of a playoff series. And, you know, obviously we saw it here with Patrick, Patrick, you know, people say, oh, he's a great big game player. I, I, I agree, but I, Always, more say he was a great big series player. He would uh, he would wear you down. Game one would start. All twenty guys think they could score. By game five, you got one or two guys in the other team that think they can score. He is beaten you down, and I think that, that for the Avalanche, I mean, it still is out there to be proven. You know, it's it. They certainly seem to have um, the ability. But, you know, it's one of those things that this will be a key year for whoever is going to be number one for the Avalanche because, one, you know, they've only won one series now in each of the last two years, and then it goes back a ways before they move much farther. So these goaltenders, there is pressure, no question. Can they handle it? I believe they can. I think management thinks they can. I know the players think they can. But, again, it's it's that one thing. If they can just stay healthy. Just stay healthy and see what you got. But again, staying healthy—that's that's a big part of, uh, you know. Patrick never got hurt. I, I was in Jersey with Marty Brodeur; he never got hurt. you, you know, you, you got to be able to play. You got to be there. And I think that's for for both of them. That 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 will be a key.
0: Peter, I want to take you way back. You you come from a hockey family. Uh, you know, your your dad was was a legendary. Uh, you know, he was a great player, but he was also a legendary GM, and and so on. You, you grew up uh, at least initially in BC, in British Columbia, in a, in a paper mill town, and you moved to San Diego. And one of the you know people that you remember most has become recently a well known figure in the history of hockey, and that is. Uh, the first African American to play at the NHL level, and that's Willie O'Ree. And I didn't realize until you and I were chatting earlier um, that he played for your dad for a while in San Diego. What What are your recollections of that period and 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 Willie O'Ree? You know, without you know getting
1: uh, too carried away, because a lot of people just absolutely would not remember it uh, because of the times that we're in, you might maybe understand a little bit more, but it was a, a very difficult time in this country. There's no question about it. Uh, the racial tension was, uh, I had I had never faced anything close to, you know, racial situations. I, it, it just wasn't something that happened in the city that we're in, in, in British Columbia. I don't even remember a player, uh, a family of color, you know, so I, we get thrust into San Diego. And then, uh, my dad said, I, you know, I, I got this player. I signed these two guys from the LA Blades, a uh, Warren Hines, a sentiment, and Willie O'Ree, a, uh, winger. So I'm thinking, great, you know, it's, it sounds fine. So they get to camp. They're up in camp up in, um, in Chilliwack, British Columbia. And I talked to my dad, and he said, yeah, they look like they're fitting They come down, and my first, cause I was sort of equipment manager and stick boy, and, whole bunch of different club things for my dad's team because, you know, I was 15, 14 years old at the start. But, you know, as you, as you, you were just doing little things to help out. And, you know, I, I, I you know, obviously you recognize that this is, you know, an African-American player, a black player. And you, you, I thought, oh, well, you know, that's, uh, that'll be, that's, in, well, I don't even know what I thought. I just thought, well, he's not, you know, he's not white. He's, he's a black player and away we go. And he could skate Turns out he was blind in one eye, which was fascinating to talk to about that later. But, um, Drew, it was something that I will never forget. I don't think I've ever uh, appreciated a man's integrity and bravery as much as I did Willie. Um, you know, I was, a, I was on the bench when, when grown men would say things to him that, you know you just you couldn't believe that you that you could say this and they would come at him and they would and and you know you remember watching uh, the movie 42 yeah. and the, the players walking into uh was it, whoever the the general manager was uh, the owner um and say I, I won't play my dad had that my dad had had that happened mm-hmm. players come in and max said well then go away you don't want to play here in San Diego. Here, go, just go away. And, you know, not because he was anything other than respectful of the fact that Willie O'Ree was a really, I mean, he was a really good man. And he wasn't going to put up with that kind of person. But was the one thing that Max always enjoyed having. He, he, never, he never was associated with a club. He was never a farm club. He always wanted to be an independent so he could have the kind of people on the team it represented the community well. I can remember, you know, saying, Max, what are you doing letting this guy go? Well, you know what? He's an, he's an ass. And sure enough, he would turn out that, you know, you would find out later. But Willie took it and played through it and was a wonderful player for the Gulls. And he was, I, I, this was, this was my favorite. I used to practice with the team all the time. And he was the first player that ever said to me, you know what? You're really going to be good one day. And I was like, "Wow, you know, maybe he's just being nice, but it, it really—it it felt special because you had a, such a respect for him, you know. And in in the community, he was he was unreal. I mean, he was he was such a, such a great ambassador of the game, and you know, now he, you know the things that he's done, but you know, to have sort of my first real look at at racism was through the watching willie being on the bench and, and i and i told you and it's not a fun story it's not a fun story at all uh, a couple 3 4 years later i was on a team where two of these guys from the other team that had been calling willie all of these things i was a teammate
0: this in the this in the nhl now right this is in the nhl and i'm like
1: like i'm a rookie and these guys are a little bit of not rookies sort of they're not great players, fortunately. I didn't have to deal with that, but I I remember saying to them, like, you know, what are, what were you doing? I mean, what were, you know, you were chasing him around and and calling him names. I mean, names that I would never, I you know, he, yeah, they're just unreal. And oh, what that wasn't me. And I go, yes, it was. It was you. I was there. I was on the bench. I saw. I, I saw you. You were right in front of me. You know, we were just, we were just baiting him. I go, baiting, you know, so it, it, it was, it was like nothing I had ever really experienced. And it, it has helped to formulate for me, my understanding of that is just not acceptable on any level, anytime, anywhere. And, you know, I have really to thank for that because he showed me the other side of what, I mean, he could have swung his stick. He could have. I mean he was strong and you know and, and he could have but he played the way he played all the time. And he was honest and he was he was just pure of hockey spirit. And you know, he didn't let these guys get to him. And I thought, you know, I am going to really use that as at least a little bit in my life to understand that boy, that's that's courage. That that's you know, they they want to chase you out of the game and they're gonna do everything they can to you out, and you say, no, I'm, you're not going to do it, and I don't care what you do. And he he was, yeah, he was, uh, he went and continues to be just a very, very special dude.
0: And he, he the relationship with your dad obviously continued. He spoke at your dad's funeral, didn't he? Yes, he, he came
1: in and spoke at Max's funeral. And, you know, I, I think he understood. Max, we would, you know, the team would go to to various cities in the Western Hockey League. Willie couldn't come in to eat. You know, Max would have to go in, get a meal, come out to the bus, and they would eat together on the bus. You know, they would have to sneak him in the back door uh, of hotels. And if they ever found out that Willie was there, they kicked the whole team out. You know, just 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 things that you know. They they occasionally they would fly, and they would uh, believe it or not. Willie would have to sit in the back of the plane. I, I mean, just things that you just go no, Come on, that's no. They did this. This is what he endured, and to to succeed not only just as a hockey player, but in life. He, and if you meet him now, you would swear that he had not been through any of this. And I, you know, and I'm sure there are times when it it weighs heavy, but he 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 is always the best person in the room. Every time you walk in a room with Willie O'Ree,
0: he's the best person. We'll have more with Peter McNabb in a moment, but first this from a sponsor who's been with us from day one, my friends at Ideal Home Loans. Give them a call, 303-867-7000. They are going to save you money. Rates are at historic lows, so if you're refinancing, you need to call them. Brent Ivinson's team will take great care of you. They've done it for me on a couple of occasions. If you're in the market for a new home, I know a lot of people uh, are moving. A lot of people are moving into the market. Give them a call as well. 303-867-7000. If you need to consolidate debt, they can help you in that regard as well. Ideal Home Loans is the company. They've been in business for 20 years, and they're a Colorado company, and they do a fabulous job. 303-867-7000. 1000 is the number and now more with peter McNabb. peter uh i used to tell this story when you and i worked together that um you were a really gifted baseball player also you played at du i mean you were at du by the way when university was a dirt road so i mean it goes back a little bit um but uh, oh yeah yeah <laughs> we, used have, we used to have woodsies
1: out on county lines you know yeah. where you would you know when you'd party and on the dirt roads in the forest, off a of county line,
0: right in the forest, off county line, right. Right now, you, <laughs> yeah, you'd run into a mall now, off, off county line right. But, but anyhow, I didn't realize this. To you and I were chatting recently. You, you had an opportunity to catch Sandy Koufax. Is that right? Yeah, they were. They were. Uh, they were coming back from
1: uh, their their spring training. The Padres were a uh triple a club for the philadelphia uh phillies and they came through and we played like long toss you know back and forth i was hoping that he wanted to throw it but he was just playing long toss because they needed somebody and i you know i was a high school baseball player so i could catch it you know and throw it but it was still one of those things that you know you 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 look back and you go oh man because that was what you know if, if you're a baseball historian they had the, the, those two clowns. They had Drysdale and Koufax, and you know it—it—it it, it, it was so magnificent. We'd go up and watch the games play. You know, you know, you could see why he—what did he lack Maybe five great years with it when his arms Yeah, and then the, the elbow. He was gone. He was gone at thirty because of the elbow. Yeah, he—it always reminded me a little bit, of Bobby Orr. You know, he came in and he just was the best. By a hundred miles, and unfortunately, injuries took away any longevity of his career. But I can remember, you know, you know, three hundred strikeouts, you know, just just blowing people down and, and people just dying. I can remember, you know, Vince Scully was the announcer, and I would listen to the games. And you know how you, you know, in our profession, we're not supposed to use nicknames, yeah, you know, and forget it. It was Dandy Don and Sandy, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, he would just – you could just feel – ProFax must have been a really good dude, a really good guy, because Vince Scully talked about him in a different way than he talked about anybody else. Sandy, When Sandy was, was pitching and whatever, there was a, was a reverence to the idea that this is I, – I know that I'm watching something great. I hope I'm telling you the story of what I'm watching because yeah. it, it was – Spectacular.
0: There was um, there was a regalness, and is I shouldn't say was there is a regalness to Sandy Koufax, and one of my partners who you know a little bit, Jeff Houston, who you know he played in the big leagues for twelve years. He's met every you know great player, Hall of Famer, etc. He had an opportunity. We, uh, Sandy came up to see Vin when Vin was still working. It was you know half a dozen years ago or so, and so we go to our booth and. and Peter, there is Sandy Koufax, and you know, handsome, still striking, still you know, you know, eighty plus years old, but still in you know, outstanding shape. And and Jeff said, I've never been more nervous in my life to meet someone than meeting Sandy Koufax. He just he had that presence uh, to him. I think it's a great analogy to to Bobby Orr because you know, injuries robbed them of you know of having one of those you know they were great they were they, they were without peer um, but unfortunately it was a, it was a small amount of time that we got to watch them um their their artistry at the best it was
1: oh it, it, i mean you know and, and it, it was the you know it was the same with bobby cuz i i was um, i was i was in boston i played in boston didn't play as bobby missed him by a summer. but i um got to know him. Got to know him well enough, and th- there's a couple of great stories, but they're kind of private stories about what's, what a great person he was off the ice. But anyway, we did, we did some stuff sort of together, and uh, it couldn't have been a nicer guy, and uh, we were there for, for Bobby O'Knight and, and all of these wonderful things in Boston. Well, I get traded from Boston to Vancouver, and we're in Winnipeg, and Bobby's doing a, an appearance thing for Planner's Peanuts, and he's on the ice with a bunch of people. Skating around, you know, and and doing it, right? And now I know Bobby, but you know, it's my first time with my brand new teammates and they're, well, all of these young guys come up to me and say, did do you know Bobby? Do you know Bobby? And I go, yeah, yeah. And then I I go, wait a minute, you know, they go, introduce me. Can you introduce us? And I'm going, oh my God, oh my God, Bobby, please, dear God, remember me. Remember me. (laughs) So. I go over to the sideboards, and there's, like, Sam Neely was 18, 19 years old. All of these young guys are right behind me. They're, like, two feet behind me, about a dozen of these young guys, right? And I go, Bobby. And, I, and I'm going, oh, please, dear God. So he skyscates by, and he spins and turns and comes back, and he said, Maxie, how are you? I said, what, what, what are they doing if they can trade that That's a dot, right? if Ever, I was going to hug a man. That was going to be the moment. <laughs> <laughs> but so anyway, we're standing there, and Bobby says, "Who are these guys?" He said, well, these are the banker Can I, I introduce them? He said, "Listen, we're going across the street. Why don't you bring these guys across the street later, and we'll have a beer and we'll just talk and whatever." I said, "Yeah, don't worry. Uh, honest to God, Drew, I'm after practice. I'm I'm getting ready. I'm showering, and I'm you know I'm gonna. There are twelve guys dressed." Ready to go? <laughs> you like? Hey, that—that's uh, get dressed. We're leaving right now. You're taking us across the street, and we went across the street, and he did that thing that I don't know if you've ever met anybody, but if he, when we got there, now he doesn't know these guys from uh, other than I had just introduced them, right? He went by and he said, "Hey, Cam, how are you?" Cam actually says, "You're you're something special." He went by and named and said everybody's name, wow. every. Bobby's name, and these guys melted, and I was a hero. I was a hero because Bobby was such a great guy. But he just—there are certain guys in our sport. Uh, Gordy had that. Gordy Howe, when he walked in, it, it, it was Gordy. It was you know, and my favorite—it was one player, uh, Jean Belliveau, Mister Belliveau. Um, yes. He was—he uh, was my favorite of all time, and he had that—that. That, Special. I always used to kid him. You know, he he had a two hundred dollar haircut back in the seventies. You know what I mean? So
0: he was. I thought only Rod Duguay had a two hundred dollar haircut back then.
1: I don't think he even got a haircut. I mean, you know, he, and see, if ever a guy epitomized the seventies and New York and Studio Fifty Four and the whole nine yards, it was Rod Duguay.
0: Yeah, absolutely. If you want
1: if you want to die and go to heaven and be somebody. There's who you
0: wanted the <laughs> New York Rangers. I'm telling you. <laughs> right. Oh, uh, that's uh it, it's great stuff, man. I could I could sit and listen to uh you regale us with stories all night long, man. It's uh it's big fun. I, I cannot wait uh to listen to you and Moj uh and, and I'm gonna come down and sneak into that booth and uh and eavesdrop from behind, but it's gonna be a great season. I know that.
1: Yeah, and bring your son if he's a fan. Just bring him down, you know. If, if we can get him in the right situation, but uh, no, it, it's I, you know, I it's it just kills me that this is a season that you know the fans aren't going to be able to watch. Hopefully they'll watch on TV and you can feel it, you know, as best you can because this is this is. I watched this morning and it's 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 really a fun team, and and that's the the thing that I I love. I love they get up and go. I love the oilers. I love the you know Pittsburgh when they were when they, when they were going. The Avalanche with Sackett Forsberg. I mean, I you know, I, I somebody said, You know, you can't you appreciate a one nothing game? I said, No, I can't I I cannot like don't tell me I have to like a one nothing game. I don't will you give me six five? Fine. Then, that, then I'm all over that
0: all night long. And hey, hey, I, I, I'm with you 100%. Um, and you came, before you came to Colorado, you had to watch the left-wing lock for a number of seasons too, so there's that. Oh,
1: well, but you know what? The thing about Jacques Lemaire's system, if when you go back, they scored 305 goals the year before they won the Cup. I mean, Jacques' system, people, people copied it and dumbed it down. He, he perfected it, and they scored at will. They, and, but unfortunately, then everybody started to do this thing, and it just went like paint dry, just paint
0: dry. And
1: now, <laughs> yeah. fortunately, it, it isn't that way anymore.
0: Yeah, that's great. Hey, Peter, all the best this season, man. Stay healthy, number one, and, uh, and we'll be watching. And I, I greatly appreciate the time, and I love the stories, as always. Okay,
1: not a problem, pal. Take care, and we'll talk to you soon.
0: You got it, brother. Be good, Peter. Okay. So many great stories with Peter. Uh, we'll have him on again down the road, hopefully uh, right before the playoffs, maybe in the playoffs uh, with the Avalanche. Uh, I could listen to him uh, regale me with stories uh, all day long. I love the Willie O'Ree stuff, and, um, you know, I did not know that story. Until Peter told it to me. We were actually having a conversation before he started rolling tape and I said you got to retell that story. I had no idea. And of course, <coughs> excuse me, Willie O'Ree spoke at uh, Peter's father's uh, funeral and remains not only an historic figure in the game of hockey, but he continues to be a great ambassador in the game of hockey. How about the one with Sandy Koufax, man? He got, he got the long toss with Sandy Koufax. That was pretty cool. And of course, the Bobby Orr, stores, Bobby Orr stores, uh, story is classic in that uh, <laughs> it tells you a little bit about Bobby Orr. Goes across the street, in the bar, and, and all of a sudden, Peter's you know got to be the uh, most popular guy on that team after that evening. A lot of fun stuff. It's been uh, it's been a blast watching the A's uh, get going. Next week, we'll bring you a new guest and uh, some more topics as we march closer to spring training. We thank you, as always, for joining us. Uh, Make sure... That you tell your friends About our podcast And um, we're going to talk a little bit About Todd Helton's uh, Hall of Fame candidacy And some upcoming shows I was on DNVR's podcast With Drew Creasman and Patrick Lyons And they do it every day And they do a great job And uh, had the opportunity to visit with them About uh, Helton's Hall of Fame candidacy And a number of other uh, topics But we're going to get to that on our uh, show In the coming uh, days as well Once again, you all stay well Take care, and uh, we'll talk to you next week on the Drew Goodman Podcast. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to the Drew Goodman Podcast. Subscribe at iTunes or wherever you find podcasts. And leave a comment. That helps other people find the show.